independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about. Um, First, happy Veterans Day uh, to all those who serve and protect and all those who have served and protect uh, protected our, our country. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to all those that uh, work within our military. Uh, there are some stats out there, uh, some things, I don't know how valuable some of these are, uh, but it's just things that uh, people say either Americans don't know about the military, about our veterans, or just like random other tidbits. Only 14% of Americans knew how many branches uh, there are of the U.S. military. Uh, there are six, the Army, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and the Space Force. A whole lot of people were forgetting the Space Force, but that is a real branch of government and not a, uh, you know, fake movie or, or something like that. Uh, most Americans believe anyone who serves in the military is called a soldier, uh, but soldiers are only in the Army. So that's another stat out there for anyone that's looking for these today. The majority of Americans have no idea what percentage of the population has ever served in our military. Uh, there are around 19 million U.S. Uh, military veterans, or about 7% of American adults have served in the military. So a a very significant amount. You know what? Actually, real quick, I'll say this, and I'll get back to those stats maybe later on throughout the day. Uh, But the other day I'm sitting there and I'm getting ready to go see Black Panther. Uh, I saw it last night. Uh, I thought it was okay. Uh, That's not what this is about. I thought the movie was just okay. My wife and I were, were sitting and we're waiting for a couple other friends to join us at the theater. And I saw a veteran walk in by himself and start to go up. And uh, this gentleman probably was in his, let's say, 70s, uh, start to go up to pay for a ticket. And I jumped up and I paid for that guy's ticket. And I'm not I'm not saying any of this to brag any of this to, to be on the show like, oh, look, uh, this dude that you barely know that fills in for Chad sometimes wants to tell you he did a good deed or something the other day. But I got to tell you, the the reaction the veteran gave to me for doing something that is like six bucks. I, I gave him like six or seven dollars. He served and protected in our our society. He was wearing his Navy uniform to go out to just see a, a movie by himself. I don't know. He was probably celebrating the holiday a little bit early. But the, the way he interacted with me for just the little thing that I paid for him and the, the amount that he seemed to be grateful that I said thank you the way that I said it, it, it just impacted me so much that I guess I wanted to share it on the show today. And I don't care what you do. If you see someone, if you know someone that has served in our military, uh, just saying thank you to them. I know that sometimes you might feel like it doesn't mean anything. uh, But last night, I can tell you, it definitely seemed to mean something uh, that you just buy one ticket to go see the Black Panther uh, for a gentleman that seemed like he just wanted to go on his own, uh, which I thought was very cool, by the way, as well. Uh, But anyway, um, happy Veterans Day one more time. I'm going to move on to some political things that are out there in the world. Uh, This is something that I thought was interesting. CNN. CNN is trying to change who they are, or at least they're trying to seem like sometimes they're changing who they are. I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, But the other day they're talking about how our president responded to a question, a question about what will you do differently? Uh, Inflation is very high. Things are still very challenging in our society. No, there was not a giant red wave that that didn't materialize. There's still a bunch of races yet to be determined in both the House and the Senate. So Republicans could take control. Well, will probably take control of the House, could still wind up with control of the Senate. I think that that's uh, a little bit out of reach, uh, not totally out of reach right now, but it it seems to seesaw back and forth, to say the least. But it, it is funny that they might actually, Republicans, win control in both uh, chambers of, of our government, uh, both chambers of Congress. So I think it's, it's interesting when you talk about that, 
to think about the fact that so many conversations right now are about how Republicans failed. And they, they did. I'm not saying they didn't. There should have been a much stronger red wave because of the issues that we're dealing with right now. But when you see all this play out, when you see Democrats retain power in so many places, and then you're the president of the United States, you're Biden, who's had just terrible approval ratings and other issues uh, plague him for quite some time here. And then you think to yourself, you know, we didn't we didn't do that bad. Then, yes, the answer, like everyone else, is probably not going to change all that much. Even CNN thinks that answer is insulting. He said he he just wouldn't do anything different because, of course, our achievements take a long time to be recognized. That's insulting people. And and I don't think that was a good answer from the president. (laughs) By the way, I I know it's a weird, maniacal laugh at the start of the show. I, I love that that's like CNN's reaction to it. Like, I don't think that was a good answer by the president. See, we're totally different now. We're breaking bad on the other side because we're being very strong. We're, we're pushing back hard on, on anything and everything that the Democrats say by, by having the hot take, uh, this hot take. That was a good answer from the president. Oh, I, even, I even changed it now. Now it sounds like it was a good answer. That was not a good answer is what she said from the president. She took him down. Uh, good luck to Biden next time he calls into CNN. Uh, no, but it is true that that right now, and I think that's the biggest, I'll say this, uh, I'm going to bounce around a little bit um, because, and I, actually I was talking to Chad about this the other day, I wonder if other people listening out there have a family member like I do. I have a family member, a friend of mine um, as well, who are very big into the conspiracy theory stuff. And right right now, one of the biggest things your conspiracy theory friend is probably saying is it makes no sense that Democrats would retain power in as many places as they did in our country because of how bad things are. That's the simple narrative. It just doesn't make sense. How could people vote for John Fetterman? How could people do this? How could they, they do that? And I think it's a lot easier than people seem to think it is, or at least those individuals seem to think it is. We vote so much just down the ticket. I mean, there was some split ticket voting, uh, I guess, in some places when you had a very radical Republican, just a bad candidate uh, wind up losing a race. But we vote so down the middle on so many things in today's society. So many people on the right and the left vote right, left, no matter what, that I don't even know if we really pay that much attention to candidates anymore. I think there are celebrity candidates that people adore and treat like actual celebrities, but I don't even know how many of those people even vote. I feel like there are a, a substantial amount of people who, who yell and cheer and, and say great things about the person that they love, that they, they see on social media, that there's that's, it's their celebrity uh, politician, uh, it's their, their person. I wonder if every single person that screams and yells that stuff actually does go out and vote. I'm curious. Uh, but at the same time, uh, and even the data from the midterm election showed, a lot of young people went out and voted. A lot of 19 to 29-year-olds, uh, 18 to 29-year-olds went out and they voted Democratic overwhelmingly. And I'm not saying they're not all well-informed. Uh, some of them are probably incredibly well-informed. But just thinking back to myself at that age, I think back to a lot of people and what they say at that age, you're usually not tapped into all the different issues. And even more importantly, inflation and those sort of things, they might not be impacting an 18-year-old not living on their own yet as much as they'd be impacting other people. So it's interesting sometimes to think about the candidates. They do matter. You can't run a bad candidate. And we've, we've learned that lesson a few times now on either side of the aisle. Uh, but truthfully, I think that it, it's more locking into that base of voters that's likely to vote for you no matter what, uh, likely to just go straight blue or straight red down the ticket uh, and making sure that none of your messaging 
pushes them away from the party. I do think that that's an important point. And I do, again, just say to any of my friends, any of my relatives who are the conspiracy theory people who just can't believe that people would want to keep things as they are because of how bad they are. And I just say to them, I don't know. I think that if, if the roles were reversed, if John Fetterman were a Republican, I think there are a lot of people I know who would have voted for that Republican instead of a Democrat just because it's like, ah, it's fine. This is my party. This is my choice. Uh, and I don't know. I, I think that that probably is the bigger problem is that it's so hard now to attract a a person from one political ideology to go across the aisle and vote on the other side. And so then you're just there sitting fighting for independence and you can't run radical politicians if you're running, if you're trying to gain an independent vote. Uh, let's play some other stuff, some other things out there. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, uh, talked about China. Uh, she was asked, is there any misconceptions about China? Anything that we should know? A pretty bland question. Here is her answer. What do you think are some misconceptions, misperceptions, misunderstandings that, that China has about the U.S.? So, look, you know, I don't don't want to get into <clears throat> deep specifics. I don't want to talk about um, any of that. You know, I think you guys have followed the relationship uh, between the two leaders uh, over the last 20-plus months. We have, yes. Um, look, I think what's important to note is that, and we, you've heard us say this too, the, the president really uh, think it's important to have that face-to-face leader-to-leader conversation. Uh, <laughs> and then we don't talk about anything else. Uh, essentially, that question is, to me, something I'll never answer. So just don't ask it again, please, because we, we need to make sure that Biden is talking to just uh, Xi Jinping about this and no one else. And uh, then whenever you ask about it, we'll just tell you that's between them. Uh, I love that version of an answer. That's one of her favorite go-tos, by the way. It's like, oh, no, that's we don't want to get ahead of that. Let's talk about that when the time is right or have the people who are important in this issue talk amongst themselves first. And then also the other go-to is I haven't had any conversation at all with anyone about it. Maybe uh, the problem with the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, is she's just way too respectful. She's not involving herself in any conversations that aren't about her. And I think that's a bad way to do the job. I think if you're going to report on the things going on at the White House, you probably should be involved in some of those other conversations. Maybe that's all, all it is. Maybe she's just incredibly polite. And she's like, is this about me? It's not. OK, I'm going to go over here. I'm not going to listen. I don't know who it's about. The president of China or something talking to Biden. That's probably not for me. <laughs> I love that idea that she just doesn't really understand what she's supposed to know and not know. And she's just kind of sitting off on her own. Uh, one other quick thing. I do want to play this before I take a break. I love this so much. Uh, and I don't know why I love it so much, but I can't help it. So this has gone viral all over social media. Uh, it sounds like it's a boyfriend that's telling his girlfriend he's going to do something special for her. And she seems genuinely happy about it. The fact that it's gone viral means that I know she now knows the truth and she's no longer happy with her boyfriend about it. But he made up a thing and then he told her he was going to skip the thing he was making up. Uh, I'll play the audio, but just so anyone who doesn't know is in the know, Tuesday night football... That's not a thing. It doesn't exist. No one plays it. But here's a guy telling his his lovely missus, uh, his lovely girlfriend, that he's going to go ahead and forego something he cares about in order to take her out on a date. Babe, yeah. I decided that tonight I'm going to skip out on Tuesday night football and take you on a date. <laughs> really? Yeah. Aww. Okay. Do you want to? Yeah. We can go get sushi or something. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Yay! Actually? Yeah. I figured I'd put a break on football for a little bit. 
just because I feel like we watch it a lot. Oh, my God. I, I don't know if it's the fact that the, the woman is reacting so over the top. And I feel like that's part of, like, the social media thing now. A lot of videos exist out there where a guy says something nice or the girl says something nice, and the other person reacts so over the top happy about it uh, because they both know they're filming it. Everything's exaggerated now, even within relationships because of social media. But she sounds genuinely happy that he's going to skip out on Tuesday Night Football. And he did get points. See, the funny thing is he had a choice to make when he created this video. He's like, man, I could keep these relationship points and just bury this video forever, or I could put the video up on social media, get a whole lot of clicks and follows, and potentially make my girlfriend very upset with me. He went with option two. I guess I'm not that surprised. A quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in. This is the Chad Benson Show. Welcome to Chad. No, not the country. The institution. The Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Um, First, apparently happiness is available to be purchased. I feel like a lot of us knew this already. Uh, That sentence out of context could mean a lot of things. Uh, But it is available. Uh, A new study found that $10,000 is about all you need to, to feel happy. Uh, Now, granted, I think the way they did this study was kind of terrible because like going in uh, before I tell you any of the logistics to it, every single person who was like, let's let's do this as an experiment should have understood that people were definitely going to be happier based on what they were going to do. They just gave people ten thousand dollars in cash and told them they had to spend it. That was the entirety of the research. I don't know why I didn't get a chance to be a part of this research, but they just handed out ten grand. They're like, all right, go ahead, spend that money. And then report back and let's see if you're happier. And guess what? Yes, everybody was happier. I don't know if they were happier long term. I don't think that this study would check in on them again and again for, say, years to come. Uh, This is just kind of a a one-off thing. Does $10,000 provide happiness for you? Um, And this was actually, I guess, to combat the idea that money cannot buy you happiness. Um, It definitely can. 200 random people uh, were given the one-time payment, required to spend it within three months, Uh, They recorded how people felt on a monthly basis and found that they reported being happier and more satisfied with their lives than any other group, groups that didn't get $10,000. Like, where are we at, to be totally honest, in the world of science and studies, that someone was like, hmm, I wonder, could this possibly be something that works out? And then what does it tell us? It tells us nothing. I, I honestly think we're almost desperate at this point for some of the things we're doing in the world of science because we just want to prove some stuff Uh, Because, well, science uh, had a a bumpy track record on things that mattered somewhat recently. A lot of data, uh, by the way, is still coming out about COVID, lockdowns, all of those things. You know what I noticed about almost all of that data? No matter what it says, and and a lot of data seems to indicate that we probably did some things wrong, either in our approach or in some of the medical ways we understood certain things. But here's the more important point. No one cares. Uh, The vast majority of people don't care. I talk about it sometimes. I find a story. I throw it out there with friends and family. I just had a curiosity to to gauge a a level of interest, even just with the people I know in my life. And people, they do not care at all uh, about that. I think that's probably a little bad. If I'm I'm being honest, I think there's just a, a slight amount, just a little tiny bit of That's probably not good for us to move on if things were not uh, done as well as we think they should have been done. And honestly, even if I try to spin this into a somewhat serious point for a quick second, and then I'll move on to other things. Uh, Everyone who's confused about the midterm elections and what happened, 
Uh, I've heard a lot of people in political spaces saying that depending on where the race was and who was running, e even if it was, say, more a radical candidate on a side of the aisle, that one thing that wasn't really jammed down the throats of the, the voters was how poorly some of the COVID stuff was handled. That wasn't used as an attack point as much as people thought it would be. And there's only a simple reason why. Uh, that reason is very obvious. It's that the belief is most people don't really care about that anymore, which says a lot about our society. But there's more data coming out um, on that all the time. And also this study, again, where people got 10 grand and felt happier because they got to spend it on whatever they wanted for three months. Uh, just very quickly, we're going to take a break pretty soon. But there are three new toys that have been added to the Toy Hall of Fame. I'm always very confused by this because most of these toys feel like they should have been in the Hall of Fame for a while. Light Bright is now officially inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame. Way to go, Light Bright. Can't wait for the speech. Masters of the Universe, uh, those little action figure toys going into the Hall of Fame. And then finally, the top. Uh, the top, like a, a, a spinning top that you would use. I can't, I don't understand how that wasn't in the Toy of Hall of Fame sooner. I don't remember the last time I played with a top. I don't know if kids even know what a top is today, but just the little spinning triangle thing uh, that is finally going in. It's been a, a heck of a ride for it to get there. So congrats to them. A quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the chat. I feel like it's Pete Rose getting into the Hall of Fame, man. Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about, of course. Uh, one of the more interesting conversations on at least the Republican side of the aisle when it comes to a way to digest what happened in these midterm elections. One of the most popular conversations right now is how relevant is Donald Trump to the future of the Republican Party? That's a, that's a real question. People ask it all the time. Uh, it might sound shocking to some who are big fans of the former president, and it might not be all that shocking at all to a lot of uh, Republicans who are not, say, the biggest fans of the former president. And I do think predominantly, if you have an issue with uh, President Trump, it might be very much not the things he actually did while he was in office, the policies themselves, the ways in which, say, life was better uh, than it is right now for a lot of people. It was all the other stuff. And so the reason we're talking about this, and I know everyone knows where I'm going with this for the most part, is the comparison to Ron DeSantis. So Ron DeSantis did very well uh, during the midterm elections. Not only did he do very well, Republicans did incredibly well in Florida. Incredibly well. That was a battleground state. None of this should be new information to anyone. The hanging chads and whatnot that you're probably hearing your friends talk about all the time uh, right now and how very, very different, even just counting the ballots themselves, even going through and getting a winner for elections in Florida, would it just happened so much better than it has happened. In the, it's just such a tremendously improved situation and a situation that often was very much talked about. I'm sure the people in Arizona right now are kind of wishing that they had a system set up like the one in Florida to be done with the whole thing, to have everything counted relatively quickly. 
Uh, but I say all this because now the debate, now the conversation becomes what is best for that party, for the Republican Party? Some of the Trump candidates were ones that were heavily criticized for being too too far to a side of the aisle or too radical on certain things. Uh, other people would say, I don't know if they were radical enough. So there's going to be a difference of opinion throughout all this. I thought it was interesting. On Fox and Friends uh, this morning, uh, Will Kane actually opened a segment talking about exclusively this, talking about the successes of the former president. Uh, one unique way in which to articulate those successes is how a mass appeal for the Republican side of the aisle, the Republican Party itself, was achieved through Donald Trump. And you say all of that only to say, but this is where we think we're actually going now. And I thought he put it, uh, he put it very, very well. So here's Will uh, talking about that on Fox and Friends this morning. Meanwhile, we mentioned the statement by President Trump last night. It was a three-page statement, and it was solely and exclusively focused on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, President Trump's political instincts have been, over the past five years, in my estimation, on point. And they have been on point when everyone else has doubted President Trump. I think he is responsible for bringing a populist a necessary populist element to the Republican Party, focused on the middle class, focused on industrialization here at home, jobs at home. And working class. And the working class. And that that repositioning's fruits were a governor like Ron DeSantis and his success in Florida. Last night's attack on Ron DeSantis, I think for many out there, represents a really, the future where where, as I described it, you're looking at a Republican civil war. And that is not going to be healthy for anyone that believes in the policies that Donald Trump helped push back to the forefront. Yeah, because that's really the thing. And I think it's the last point that is so well uh, said. Um, the Republican civil war concept would not necessarily be about how either of those individuals would govern if in office. It's how they would behave, right? The, the true difference between, say, electing a, a Donald Trump again, former President Trump again, and electing a Ron DeSantis is the behavior, the, the way in which you carry yourself, the way in which you have certain conversations. I think ideologically, and they usually say this in most primary races, uh, which is what I guess we're already setting ourselves up for just after some of the midterm, not even all of the midterm races have been decided. Uh, but in all honesty, what's so interesting about it is, is for the most part, and as I said, you hear this every time that Republicans run against other Republicans for those types of elections. We agree on most things. We would do a lot of things very similarly. There's just a few things we would do utterly different. And I do think, and I think this is the way that point is thrown out there too, within the Civil War, within how likely it is that Trump will crap all over Ron DeSantis. I don't know if that's good for the Republican Party. I, and I, I think a lot of people don't think that's good for the Republican Party, I don't think you can challenge, say, a former President Trump with what he did when he got elected in 2016 or the way in which he's carried himself uh, since to change his attack strategy. It doesn't matter who he's attacking. It can be a Republican. It can be a Democrat. It can be anyone. Uh, there are a lot of people that catch the fire of that individual. And the way in which he does it is, is scorched earth. That was the conversation from some of the things that were uh, criticized yesterday. Uh, even the COVID response. The COVID response for DeSantis in Florida, uh, something that DeSantis has been uh, fairly proud of, uh, but it is something that, say, a lot of Democrats in the state have attacked him for when trying to run against him. And obviously that didn't work in any sort of midterm election. Uh, those were some of the things that the former president mentioned as potentially things uh, that he will continue to go after. And I guess this the, really the, this is the main point for anyone that cares about any of this stuff, anyone that nerds out on the political 
uh, conversation or the planning of all this, the strategy behind it is, is it Ron DeSantis's time? Is he the heir apparent to the party with or without Donald Trump being involved? If, if Donald Trump were uh, still a candidate or if he had been elected twice and was incapable of being a candidate, is that relevant to most people who look at what happened in Florida, how well things went there and how significant of maybe a draw that individual Ron DeSantis would be to the independent voter, to some of the potential Democratic voters who are very upset with the the world in which it's going, uh, the way in which things are. And actually, this is something that I, I talked to Chad Benson about just yesterday uh, that he was um, very, very right about saying. Uh, Chad mentioned that if things get back to normal a little bit more in the next two years, if inflation, if gas prices, if all those things start to trickle back down and you're looking at a different situation than the extreme of right now, the extreme of, say, the last year, and I know it's already getting a little bit better by some estimates. Some other estimates are saying, no, uh, things are going to be bad for a bit. But if we wind up in a society that's improved from what it is even just now, and Democrats are so good at saying that, hey, we fixed the stuff that we broke, you should give us credit for the fixing and not credit for the breaking, how much of a draw is that to independent voters, to Democratic voters, to some of the voters that helped prevent the uh, red wave of right now and what candidate in the future i'm not totally advocating for it might sound like i am i'm not totally advocating for any individual on this uh, but what candidate in the future is more likely to attract some of those individuals even if things start to change a certain way so it is interesting that right now we're talking about the republican side of the aisle as potentially at civil war if they don't uh, and they being more desantis and whatever supporters he may have gained on a national scale I don't choose to just support the former president in a run for, and I don't know, maybe DeSantis chooses not to run. Uh, no one has actually said he's definitively running. Everyone assumes he's going to, but no one has said that's going to happen. So maybe DeSantis does step aside to prevent himself from being scorched earth and prevent himself from, from losing some of the things he's gained and just lets Trump try to run against anyone other than a Ron DeSantis. Because I don't think there's anyone else in the Republican Party who stands a chance against former President Trump. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, other stuff out there in the world, other stuff that I think is also valuable to talk about uh, just relatively quickly. Um, I did see that the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, was asked a question, a question about inflation. Uh, most of the increase that we saw in inflation last month was due to rising costs in shelter uh, is part of that question that I'll play in just a second. Um, that is absolutely true that more and more people, whether it's because of the rising interest rates by the Fed, whatever it might be, uh, they're seeing the cost of living Continuing, and I mean very uh, simplistically, the cost of the actual place you live continuing to go up. Uh, rent prices are going through the roof. That is a unique challenge. Uh, and the answer that she gives to what they're likely to do about that is pretty terrible. And it's actually the kind of answer you give when you feel like you did much better in a midterm election than even you were expecting to do. Just on the, the CPI uh, statement this morning from the president, uh, most of the increase that we saw in inflation last month was uh, due to rising costs for shelter. Uh, president Biden's statement didn't uh, mention that. Um, what is the administration doing to contain the rampant run-up in rents right now? Of shelter specifically? So um, I don't have anything right now to share with you on that specific piece of the data. That's, that's her other go-to. She's got two go-tos. I wasn't involved in that conversation. I don't know what they're talking about. Let's let them talk about it on their own. And uh, I wasn't told anything about that. I have nothing to share. Uh, this is going to matter to a lot of people and should have mattered to a lot of people uh, in the midterm election as well. But it's certainly going to be a conversation that I think comes up again and again and again as those costs continue to go up. People who are paying rent 
uh, right now. People who own their homes, I know, uh, typically might have a locked-in rate, uh, depending on what kind of mortgage you got. So maybe those adjusting uh, prices don't hit you quite as hard. The taxes hit you hard, uh, but the locked-in rate itself might make it a little easier to, to not notice, say, that wild fluctuation uh, in housing costs. But people who pay rent, they do this every every year. You, you come out with, depending on what your lease is, that brand-new price. And if you know anyone in a big city that pays rent uh, and you have a conversation with them about just the way in which it's been jumping, the insanity to, to how much of a difference it is from the last lease to the next lease right now, uh, those things matter in places where we were still leaning heavily Democratic. Uh, the big cities in any any state that has like a, a wide swath of just red voting all throughout the rural areas or the, the uh, markets that are all the sizes of regular towns and cities, and then the one giant city that overwhelmingly votes a certain way, uh, the one thing that I think could really have a, a major impact down the road is escalating rent costs and not being able to find a way to get those un, in check because that does hit a lot of those people in those big cities much harder than it hits everyone else in the country. Uh, one other quick thing, and this is just a quick thing I, I saw out there that I kind of liked, one in three people fake smile to pretend to like a relative's cooking. <laughs> that is so specific, I have to be honest. I don't know who studied this. I don't know why they studied this, uh, but one in three. People in some holiday, obviously there's a pretty significant cooking holiday coming up in the near future. Uh, they will fake smile looking and be like, oh, it's delicious. Oh, so good. And they don't mean it. One in three. I feel like you should just actually call people out on that. If you're the cook for your meal and you're sitting at the table and you think someone's not enjoying themselves and you see them say something or, or you feel like they did something a certain way, go after it, people. That is my recommendation. For the most part, I say uh, be the peacemaker. But in that situation, if someone's giving you the fake smile and the fake appreciation, you tell them how hard you worked in that meal and you tell them why they're inappropriate for the way that they're acting. It'll make uh, Thanksgiving very fun uh, for all involved. I I'm happy that I usually don't do this. Uh, and the reason why I don't do this, by the way, uh, I don't fake smile and look at someone and say their cooking's good when it's not, is my family has figured out how to make sure that the good cooks are the ones that are holding. The th it's not, it doesn't matter whose house is the biggest, whose house can take the most of us. What matters is who the best cook is and finding a way to make sure that anybody else who lobs it out there, any other family members, like, oh, we'll host Thanksgiving this year. Like, oh, I don't know, it's kind of tradition to have it at this other house, to have it with these people uh, in charge because they're the ones. You know, we don't want to offend them. Yeah, we, we would love to go to your house. Maybe we'll do that another time. You just got to be very strategic about it. All right, quick break. A lot more. Craig Collins filling in. This is the Chad Benson Show. I used to be free. I am not a terrorist. I am not Antifa. I am not a sex slave that wears masks. <gasps> Don't be a cutie pie. Probably sit around and cook some soups and eat bread and desserts and just get all fat and sassy. You're ruining my life, bud! You You're listening to The Chad Benson Show. This is The Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Uh, you know what I find interesting? Uh, Twitter is so valuable all of a sudden to some of the people who talk about crap all the time. What I mean by that is mainstream media, uh, definitely media that's on the left, they care tremendously 
right now about verified blue check marks on social media site Twitter because Elon Musk bought it. You know what's funny to me before I even play a little bit of this audio from CNN? We shouldn't give a crap about this at all. I, I don't know how many times to say this. I've said this before when I filled in on this show. I say this all the time on some of the other radio things I do and to anyone who will ask me. Social media doesn't need to be thought of as important. It doesn't need to be thought of as a place that actually breaks news. You know what was hilarious is leading up to the election, there were a bunch of takes on MSNBC, CNN, all the places about how terrible it was going to be that Twitter was now a free platform because of Elon Musk because it was going to change people's votes. They were going to go to their trusted site, Twitter, not have any idea that some of the people who put things on Twitter might not be verified experts and whatever it is they're talking about and just believe anything. They just look at any, and I know a lot of people do go to social media and feed their conspiracy theory thoughts and whatnot. That's, it, it is what it is. I guess that's what social media is. But we don't need to be uh, talking about how terrible it is that Twitter is, is a mess right now uh, because it doesn't need to be this important. People can go to other places. I feel like Twitter is the Wikipedia of its time. And by the way, Wikipedia, that website, often gets a lot of things very right. They, it gets edited so many times by so many people that if you go there, even though it's derided and made fun of, and it, it certainly was made fun of more, say, years ago, more often than not, you're probably going to get accurate information on, on the old Wikipedia if you look something up. And on Twitter, that's probably still going to happen, but it doesn't need to be this Armageddon scenario where if something is not the correct way that it should be to a CNN, a, an MSNBC, whoever, that we need to make sure that we fix this problem ASAP. Here is a, a scare um, conversation. Here is a everything's going horrible um, version of reporting about uh, Twitter on CNN. It does end funny. I find the joke funny that they find funny. I just love the fact that they all think this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of maybe the world. I don't know. It feels like we're that extreme. Here's a little bit of the take. So the loss of those senior execs also, guys, makes it much more difficult to lure already skeptical advertisers. Oh, no. Also not helping. An explosion of trolls and oh, other, no. others creating imposter accounts after Musk effectively blew up verification on Twitter. You can see somebody pretending to be a fake Donald Trump account. And How Twitter terrible. has also given a blue check mark to Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Some things are getting a bit confusing on the site. Look at that. They're getting so confusing. How can we trust Twitter now? You never should have trusted Twitter. No one should have cared. Uh, and maybe stuff, you know, maybe stuff will come out and get better uh, at some time. But I think it's the, the pompous, the high and mighty, the assumption that we needed journalistic integrity to exist on our social media platforms in the first place that has screwed all this up from start. I think that's the reason that the left was in charge of social media and was silencing the right too much on social media is that everyone was debating a thing that shouldn't need to be a thing. It shouldn't need to be uh, this hyper-focused on version of we've got to make sure that all the information is exactly correct and then opinion will be involved and there will be opinion on multiple sides. And so we'll have to censor a lot of things that are true, but we don't like them. Let's just Let's just not. I feel like that's what Elon Musk was saying when he bought it. He may be trying very hard to just recoup his costs and get out of the Twitter thing. But I do think he's being fought at every single stage right now internally by everyone that's not him and the stuff he wants to do. And it's just a social media platform. It's not the, the arbiter of what's true and not true in our society. If that ever becomes the thing, if Twitter ever be, truly became what on the left they've been behaving for years uh, that it is, if it ever truly became that, an actual representation of everyone's thoughts and not just like extreme takes and crazy stuff, we're in a very bad situation, people.
Uh, so I don't know. I love the reporting. I love the conversations. But my big response every time I see anything about the changes on Twitter and how bad they are is who, who cares? Who gives a crap? And they're probably not that bad. Uh, that's usually my other response, too. All right. Uh, we got to take a break in just a second. Uh, after the break, I do want to dive a lot more into some of the things going on in the world of the, the still counting uh, versions of our midterm elections. Uh, that coming up and more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. This is The Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, Of course, the battle that is, the battle that will be for a while now, Trump versus DeSantis is something that's sweeping a lot of political conversations already. We are still counting ballots. We are still trying to find winners in elections. Uh, Actually, this is news out of Clark County in Nevada They have about 50,000 ballots left to be tallied. Uh, They're going to take till Monday to do that. Um, You know what's interesting about this, by the way, is I know that there's the extreme takes on all sides in trying to to fix the system for places that take so long uh, to count all of the votes in an election. Uh, When you have a Powerball system that can figure out who won and where within hours, uh, probably halfway through the next day after drawing a number, or even if they have technical difficulties, they can draw numbers in the morning and by the middle of the afternoon, they know what happened. Uh, when we have other countries that can count their ballots or even states like Florida uh, that can get through this relatively quickly uh, now, based on a lot of the changes they made there, it's confusing when it takes a very long time. This was part of the statement made uh, today uh, in Nevada by some of the election officials there uh, talking about the amount of ballots they have, how long it's going to take to count them, et cetera. Uh, let's play some of this. Additional ballots that were read in and we reported on our website the new totals. We still have over 50,000 ballots that need to be counted. Those are in various stages in the process of validation <laughs> before they go to the counting board. And finally, ultimately, they get to tabulation. Look, 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 look. I am not trying to prop up election fraud. That's not my, my game. I think it's something that's even getting um, neglected by more and more politicians because they realize that if there's no Kraken, uh, we went through that whole process before where we were waiting for someone to release the Kraken and there was no Kraken. Those conversations became become very difficult to prove for anyone that believes them deeply. But I will say, but after I just said that setup to this segment, when you have 50,000 ballots and you got to take a real long time to count them and they're all in different stages of counting, that sounds like too slow of a system. It just sounds like that's too slow that I feel like you could get some people together. You could figure out a way. And I know they've got to do this on the up and up. There has to be a lot of integrity, a lot of security involved, but there's got to be a better way to count 50,000 ballots than to take from now until Monday to get that done and to really just not even know for sure how many of those ballots are going to get fully through the process and all the different stages of it. You know, I, f- I feel like I could do a better job alone. You trap me alone in a room with 50,000 ballots, and I feel like I'll get there before Monday. 
in telling you who I think has most of those votes. I'll be real close. I prom- I'm going to definitely have a couple moments where I'll go fully delirious and just make some stuff up. But for the most part, I'm going to be on target on that kind of thing. All right, I want to talk about this. This is AOC and Chris Wallace. By the way, if anybody watched election coverage on midterm elections on CNN, uh, which I know a lot of people probably didn't do, I think a lot of people less and less are watching, even as they're trying to reform themselves and do a more down-the-middle thing. But I turned it on, and I was very curious about it and how it would sound compared to how it sounded in the past if there would be weeping and crying when Republicans won certain things. And there certainly seemed to be some celebration as Republicans weren't winning certain things on election night uh, on a CNN. But every time Chris Wallace popped up, he made everybody uncomfortable, which is funny to me because when he was on Fox News, a whole lot of the people who watched that station didn't really like him either. I don't know what team is is in his camp right now. I don't know who loves him a lot. He got to sit down with AOC uh, in the conversation. He asked a very basic question, a question that would make a lot of conservatives very happy. Don't you think this is the question to AOC and I'll play it in a second that both sides of the aisle need to come back from the extremes. Don't you believe that no matter how much criticism is lobbed at the right by the left for the extreme candidates that you believe exist there, that there's a significant amount of extreme candidates on the left, you included. Her answer to me was hilarious. Uh, It did acknowledge the fact that she is challenged often for being someone that lives in the extremes, but then it immediately dismissed every idea of that by, again, comparing it to the other side and what she thinks is ridiculous. Of course, if you're all the way on the left, you think the people all the way on the right are the worst people in the history of time. And honestly, we have a lot of that in politics now. We have a lot of vilifying a party and almost by extension trying to vilify the people who support the party, uh, which I think does create a lot of division in our society. I think that happens on both sides. I think that's interesting, the way in which we talk about especially the Democrats, because they're the ones who don't even seem to know how intolerant they are, uh, which is sort of amazing. But saying that we were in a fight to protect our democracy uh, before these midterm elections was, was as crazy and out there of rhetoric as, as inflammatory and, and just all the things you could describe other versions of rhetoric as being, because they're essentially saying that anyone that votes Republican doesn't like America at all. They, they want to see it upended and changed into something uh, that is anti-democracy. That's the messaging that's ludicrous and insane, and it does exist. But here, let's do this. This is AOC reacting to Chris Wallace and saying how she's not extreme, you know, compared to the extreme people on the other side. She just wants cows to stop farting, but she's not extreme. That's ridiculous. Do people want both parties to move from the fringes from the extremes back to the center? I think a lot of people in this country may say yes, but it's important for us to dig into the substance (laughs) of what that actually means. Okay, first and foremost, I love that part of it. You know, I think a lot of people on both sides, supporters of mine in New York, might say yes, that we're too extreme. But I want to make sure that they understand that it's a no, that we're not too extreme and they're dumb. That's essentially what she's saying there. That's the other thing that always gets me is the messaging on the left. I'll play more of her answer in a second, is that if you really think, if you sit down and think about what they're saying, whatever it is they're talking about, whatever, because like Biden right now has been saying a lot of, you know, my policies are working and things are better than people think they are. Even though if you go to the, the gas station or the grocery store, things don't seem that great. But Biden is doing a great job, according to Biden, and he just needs to do a better job of explaining to you, the dummy, uh, the way in which things are getting better. That's essentially the way in which they speak all the time. That's how AOC is talking now. 
She's saying that you don't understand, you the voter on either side, the side on the right or the left, because she just acknowledged that both sides would say that both political parties have extreme uh, people within them. But you don't get, you the person who's watching this Chris Wallace interview right now, uh, that she that you're wrong, that she's not extreme, and that it's you who doesn't get what's going on. That means you're an idiot. They, they say it without saying it. And they think we don't even notice what they're saying. Here, play a little more. Um, as someone who is often, uh, I think, characterized as extreme, I, of course, would object to that. I do not believe that I am as extreme uh, in the way that Marjorie Taylor Greene on the Republican side is extreme. The idea that there is an equating of believing in someone who believes in guaranteed universal health care in the United States with someone who believes that undocumented people should incur physical harm. Yeah, all right. Right there, you've already made some stuff up. You've exaggerated things. You've gone a certain road. And you've also said something as a blanket statement that, you know, we just need to make sure that universal health care is something that everybody has when it's not even achievable, when there's aspects that make some of these things that you also believe in the Green New Deal to be utterly impossible. I love this version of an argument, though, just real quick, for someone like an AOC who is extreme, who is... Uh, I think, a, a a person that hopes to be more and more influential on the totality of her party. AOC is Trump in a tremendously different way, and she would hate to hear the comparison, but it is true. For a younger voter, for a lot of voters who've heard her name and watched her speak and seen some of the things she said to fully attack the side that she's not on, or certainly out of New York, uh, what AOC could be to a lot of people is someone who, who uh, demands these things that go well above and beyond what is actually realistic. And that's not necessarily even Trump, in all honesty. His, his rhetoric is more inflamed than any of his actions ever are. AOC's actions match the things she says. They match the beliefs and things that she would like to see happen in our society, and they're so very far to a side, and she's hoping to pull the party with her in that direction. That is an AOC hope. Uh, but what I love about this is when you ask her, and anyone does it, Chris, whoever it is, uh, are you extreme? Her answer is not as extreme as that guy, not as extreme as that woman, not as extreme as those people over there. That is never a winning argument. It's sort of like if you're a little kid and you do something wrong in class and the teacher starts yelling at you, they're like, hey, you did this wrong. Maybe even cheated on a test and you got caught. And you're like, well, you don't know that the other kids have been cheating way more than me. That doesn't make it any better. That doesn't make it. It doesn't even matter if it's true at that point. The teacher will stand there and be like, that doesn't matter right now. You're doing something wrong. You need to do something differently. If that's the argument that you come up with to try to win the day for those that are extremely to the left or even extremely to the right, is that really it's the other side that's even more the problem? You're still missing the boat of, I think, what many people are saying and, and screaming right now uh, via the midterm elections, that they are looking for someone with sensible, common conversations, simplifying ideas that don't necessarily need to constantly be on the attack of the opposing side, but really just appealing directly to the voter and what matters to them. There are a lot of people saying and doing that every single day. And honestly, and this is what I think comes up often in this Trump, no Trump debate that's going to happen in the Republican Party for a while now, is truthfully all the policies, all the, all the things that happened once a person was in power, they worked out way, way better then anyone who hates that person would want you to believe anybody who's just anti-Trump to their core would want you to believe because they hated some of the other things that were were more the public things. So it is very interesting. But again, and this is just not to repeat the dead horse or to repeat the topic all day long. That's just going to keep coming up 
and you're going to hear about it probably up until the actual day of election night in 2024, DeSantis does do things differently than Trump while having very similar policies. And that might be something that is more appealing to all the people that AOC just dropped uh, from supporting her or supporting her party by saying that we're not as extreme as they are. Instead of saying something to the fact of these are the core issues that matter and these are my positions on those issues and you can decide for yourself if that's extreme. She can't do that because she knows she's way out on the reservation. All right, quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in. This is the Chad Benson Show. Serving up talk radio, medium rare, and dripping with irony. It's Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about. A man in England was arrested for allegedly throwing eggs at King Charles. Uh, He must stay at least 500 meters away from the king at all times. And this is the part that I love of this story. He is now banned from carrying eggs in public. Uh, If this individual... (laughs) I'm sorry, I love this so much. If this guy is seen anywhere, anywhere outside, and he's got a couple eggs in his hands... Yeah, you can call the authorities immediately and you can you can get him. He's got to be taken down. He's got to be um, the eggs have to be removed from his mitts. And then he has to be arrested probably immediately, promptly. I I assume that sort of thing would happen. Uh, There is audio. I'm not going to play it because it's just commotion. You can't really tell what's going on. But he's yelling, not my king, as he's throwing eggs at the king. I don't think he understands how how kings work uh, because he is your king. He's everybody's king, whether you like it or not. But I just love the idea that they went that far. They're like, no, 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 no. Not only is he in trouble for egging our king, but he is now incapable of going to the grocery store for his wife at any time because he's not going to be able to pick up the eggs. I like I, that would be my favorite too, like uh, a quick grocery stop, and that would be the answer. I can't go, honey. I'm not allowed. I'll be arrested immediately if I walk out of that store with any amount of eggs in my hands. Uh, other stuff out there in the world. I do think this is interesting. NASA is launching an inflatable heat shield that could land humans on Mars. It's a real story. Uh, NASA is firing up the first of what I guess are significant hurdles we need to cross in order to eventually get to Mars. Uh, NASA successfully launched a flying saucer-like inflatable heat shield, and it could help uh, with a lot of different stuff. The low Earth orbit flight test of an inflatable decelerator, uh, that was a lot of words, uh, launched from the United Launch uh, Alliance Atlas V rocket, uh, and that is now something that obviously we should be very, very happy about. I'm not going to Mars. I don't know who needs to hear it. I don't know when they need to hear it or when it needs to be a thing that, that comes up. I've said before, I've made jokes before that it might be fun to go. Uh, that, you know, if you're not the first group that gets sent out, but you're one of the, the latter groups, then maybe that sounds like an awesome experience. But no, uh, what it really is, for the most uh, part, for a lot of your life, is just waiting in traffic. Really, really long, slow traffic with a collection of people you're probably not going to like by the time you land on Mars. Like, think about that, actually. I love that version of talking about it. Uh, think about any long car trip you've taken and the people that you love, you adore. They're the, the people that you most care about in your life and how mad you were at them after getting out at that first rest stop 10, 20 minutes in, uh, an hour in, when you're like, how did you not pee at the house? You immediately go nuts. Uh, to, so just think about that. Think about the people loading up on these ships when we eventually go and how much every, like the, the version of society we have right now and the conflict we have, we haven't all been stuffed into a car and taken a really long trip together. And I know. Probably more science is coming along. We're all going to be asleep or whatnot. I don't care. People are going to hate each other. That's my take on it. Let's leave it there. Uh, I saw this. I thought this was interesting. So uh, you hear a lot about 
the quiet quitting, or you heard a lot before quiet quitting about the great resignation. And most of these things where people are upset with their job and leaving it, or in the world of quiet quitting, they just keep working, but they're, they're a terrible employee now, and they're trying just not to get fired or not to be noticed that they're a bad employee. It's mostly younger people. It's the younger generation, Gen Z and millennials, that are likely to partake in a lot of this stuff. And actually, on Veterans Day, I should mention this. Uh, just quickly, there's a story out there that one of the best groups, absolutely hands down, every study confirms it, to hire for any gig whatsoever, any job right now in our society with how many people are so difficult to work with, how much emotions matter for so many. They want to have a, a fun work atmosphere that doesn't feel like work or they want to work from home. All those things, all those challenges you have as a headache, as someone that's trying to run any company, if you hire a veteran, none of those things happen. All of the data says that veterans show up on time. You give them a list of expectations, they hit the list of expectations. There's a tremendous amount of ways right now where if you're hiring for a gig, if someone applies who worked in any branch of our military, especially a young person who, say, got that foundation of, of very different responsibility uh, and just, I guess, overall values that exists than those who are on TikTok and social media all the time, the professional you're going to have is just so much better. Uh, but this is what I was going to say. Gen Z and millennials are the most unlikely to say yes to the after work drink, I guess more so than other generations. I don't know why they studied this. Uh, but a lot of people uh, reacted by saying, I don't want to keep working when I'm off the clock, so I don't want to go with my coworkers to some bar to drink and complain about work. That's the problem. You need to do We all need to do that. The after-work drink is one of the best drinks you'll ever have in your life with friends that are probably not the closest people to you in your life, but friends that uniquely get all the stresses you have with Brenda in the office or whoever it might be, and you all just complain about her. You have one to seven drinks, depending on who you are. And then you go home that evening and you feel great about it. That's the whole gig, man. It is great to go outside of work and complain about work every so often with people who do the job you do. Has anyone seen The Office? Has anyone seen these shows that they like? The fact that young people say no to this thing is one of the reasons they're quiet quitting and they're upset with their jobs and they're resigning. That's, that's why is you're not enjoying the sweet, sweet victory of being able to go out as a group of just sort of kind of friends who all can crap on the exact same things. All right, I got a lot more coming up. Uh, I am filling in on the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins. After the break, I do want to talk about boozy elephants and politics. Uh, more next. The Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Lots and lots to talk about, as I always say. Uh, one of the biggest conversations right now, and it's one that I'll try not to talk about too much, but we'll get back to it in a bit, is about the ongoing feud that is likely to happen in the Republican Party between Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump. Uh, both who I think everybody assumes will be vying for the presidency. Uh, you know, what's interesting about all that is that we're still not totally done counting ballots uh, in the midterm elections, and we've already moved on. I think that's mostly because a lot of people care a lot more about the presidential election than about anything else. They just that's something that matters more and more people usually turn up and vote. 
And I guess one thing, and this is something that uh, bears continuing to to mention and talk about as well, is that the belief that there wasn't a bigger red wave in our midterm elections, and you've probably heard this at this point, is because young people voted so tremendously one-sidedly compared to every other generation. Some of the data coming out of Tufts and other places says that if you were 18 to 29, you were 66, 67 percent likely to be voting on the Democratic side of the aisle or down the Democratic ticket. Uh, And in every other generation, even millennials, uh, that split was much closer. It was much closer to 54, 52 or uh, 45, 55, depending on which generation you're talking about. And of course, uh, Gen X and um, baby boomers leaned more to the right. But it was a tremendous, overwhelming slant on a certain side. I know that that just makes sense. I know a whole lot of people are not even remotely shocked uh, by the fact that young people vote uh, a certain way. I think what is more surprising and the reason this is getting talked about so much is the amount of young people voting. And I do want, I'll just say that I'm going to move on. I'll just say this. Uh, I wonder if the whole like put up on social media that you voted with your vote sticker uh, makes a whole lot of people do the thing. Cause that, on social media in general, if a trend occurs and we all know this, we talk about some of the like worst trends on say TikTok or some of those other platforms where kids are actually hurting themselves doing something that they definitely, the Tide Pod Challenge always comes up in his example, but there's a bunch of other ones. So influence on social media for younger generations is tremendously high. Uh, those social media platforms push you to vote. When you log in around the days just leading up to and of election, they are telling you how to vote, where to vote, what, well, not how to, well, maybe they are telling you how to vote, but they're giving you all the information, get you out to do it, and all your friends are posting that they went and voted. I imagine there's a lot of people similar to, say, the Milk Crate Challenge, that should have been trying to climb up a bunch of milk crates that go out and vote that probably don't have any of the information they're supposed to have to vote. I bet you it's the same as any other generation. The amount of people who are tremendously well-informed and the amount of the people who are more specific to certain issues. The only problem is if you're a Gen Z or a millennial person and the specific issue you have on social media is that you should vote and that's all you're thinking about, well, it might cause some problems. Anyway, all right, that was a long, that was a long tirade. On that situation. Let's play this. This is audio of our president in Egypt apologizing for withdrawing from the job killing Paris climate uh, agreement. I love that this is something that our president does often in general. He'll go somewhere and one of the first things he'll do is he'll say, I'm sorry. He even says it in a room where like he's about to speak and you don't know what he just apologized for, but you're pretty sure it's that he just said, sorry, he's about to speak. I really think that happens a lot, too. But here's this. Okay, hold on. I'm having some audio issues myself over here, so let me click on some buttons differently and get this done. I don't think this audio is going to sound good, but you are going to hear it this time. Here is the president saying that he's withdrawing from the job killing, uh, or excuse me, that uh, he's sorry we at one point withdrew from the Paris Agreement. We immediately rejoined the Paris Agreement. We convened major climate summits and reestablished... <laughs> Yeah, way to go, guys. Yeah, way to go. I'm so sorry that I did that thing before, but I didn't do it. It is true, though. He just often full-on says I'm sorry when he walks into a room uh, before saying anything else, which confuses me as to whether or not he understands, like a lot of us do, uh, that even the people who support the man in the room with him aren't really thrilled to have him talk. Uh, By the way, there's this other thing that's out there. I'm debating whether or not I play it. It it is pretty funny. Uh, It is making fun of John Fetterman for having some kind of semblance of a uh, i guess personality or uh, presence excuse me on uh, on tiktok uh, but i don't think it's really him i don't think any of it's him uh, but some of it is also just kind of demonstrating and joking about the fact um that uh you know 
there were some challenges in that specific election, in the debate itself and everything, as far as communicating a message, any message, to supporters. And how does Fetterman win? And this is not to, to overly make fun of, because I know people immediately also get very sensitive to this idea that you're making fun of someone who went through a medical thing uh, that dealt with uh, strokes and that is still trying to recover from them. But I don't know when our society got to the point where we'd say, you know what? These political positions we have are so important in our society, but if someone is not fit at the moment to do it, we just got to be patient and wait for that person to get better because I don't think politics makes people better, like health-wise, by the way. I'm actually genuinely worried as just a human being that Fetterman has put himself in a bad um, uh, place from a, a health standpoint, has put himself in a situation where he's likely to, to have additional health struggles because of the stress of being in politics. But it's just weird the amount of, say, um, I, I don't know, the lack of saying it a better way, just like the, the amount of, of kindness we have, the amount of humanity we show uh, to people that might struggle to do a job that's very important well just because they're on your side of the aisle. It was surprising that that individual could win an election at all compared uh, when you think about where he was and how he did publicly and just uh, speaking his message to the people. But here, there's this too. This is our president saying, I was sorry uh, again uh, during this uh, conversation he had. Um, uh, again, he's saying sorry because he said he was reading a quote. I love this part. Let's play this one because this is even more ridiculous. Energy agency recently concluded that our significant climate investment will, quote, help turbocharge the emerging global clean energy, clean energy economy. I was reading the quote, sorry. I was reading the quote that I wasn't prepared for, and I, I, I flubbed it pretty, pretty significantly there. My bad. I'm sorry on that. Yeah, the, these are the things that we sort of forgive. If you're on a certain side of the aisle now, and you usually yell and scream at the other team, like, hey, 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 you can't make fun of that. You, you can't talk about how, how that's something that's important or not important for our, our leaders to be eloquent, our leaders to be capable of delivering a message. Uh, and these things, of course, do matter. And they, of course, do change the opinions that people have of us uh, uh, beyond our country, the opinions that others have uh, when they talk about many of the things that I think people probably discuss right now. Uh, I wonder, I do wonder this. I'll just say this quickly and I'll move on. I, I wonder what the interpretation is uh, from the rest of the world as far as the ever-growing challenge in the United States uh, that, that, that we have so many leaders right now, whether it's the president, the vice president, uh, Fetterman, another one, uh, that aren't even capable of public speaking and yet uh, can gain positions, can gain uh, certain power. I wonder if that's as damaging as some of the things they said have been damaging in the past. Just the idea that we're being led by those who seem incapable of leading at all, um, even just by the way in which they appear or the way in which they speak when they're given those stages. Uh, let's do this. Let's talk about this. A national baby formula th uh, theft ring was busted up. This is a real story. Uh, three Romanian women were recently arrested in northern Utah in connection with a nationwide baby formula theft ring. They were caught stealing thousands worth of formula and have been charged with retail theft. Um, this is something that's crazy. It's the, for the most of the last six months. Uh, baby formula is obviously something that we've been discussing a lot in the country. Uh, and people, just like with the toilet paper thing, were trying to do everything they could to take advantage of the situation. Uh, they had over $2,000 worth of baby formula. Overall, they'd stolen more than $23,000 worth of formula, I guess, um, throughout the totality of the operation. It's unclear if it's just these women or if there's a whole crime ring. I, I'm going to say it this way, and this is kind of the reason I'm stumbling through these points myself. 
uh, just now is when we have leaders that are ineffective, when we have leaders that can't go out and speak or have leaders that behind the scenes can't solve things like a baby formula crisis, as that is somehow still ongoing in some places or still discussed. And then you see stuff like this. Uh, these are the things that, that allow the bad actors to rise. These are the things that make people confident. I mean, there's no better example, no better conversation about this than Vladimir Putin. And there's continued uh, stories now. If you go out and look, uh, and I don't know how much of this is a national attention thing for a lot of people anymore, uh, but you see that Putin has offered to negotiate again with Ukraine, uh, but not negotiate in a way that Ukraine wants because essentially he wants to still take territory. Uh, Ukraine has fired back and said, no, they're not going to do that. But all of these different, all of these different uh, pushbacks and fights and the invasion itself, they do come from a weaker United States. They come from a country that Russia isn't as intimidated by because they believe the leaders will listen to those uh, who would tell these leaders to just leave everybody alone, uh, to just decide not to. And I, I'm not saying that we have to be involved in every issue throughout the world, but I do think all of these things play together. When you see a president show up and apologize multiple times in an address, uh, an international address, when you have people get elected who have viral videos of being incapable of saying a sentence that makes sense, when you have all these things occur and you look at it from the outside, from the, the perspective of someone who might not be an ally of ours, I think you continue to get more and more confident that what is likely to, to happen if you were to be, say, somewhat provocative uh, with the United States, I'm not saying actually attack the United States, but somewhat provocative with us, odds are we're not actually going to do anything about it right now with the leaders we have in charge. That was one of the things. I will say this, and I know a lot of things feel like they're just going back to Trump in so many places in politics right now, but that was one of the things that was different about the former president that actually wound up, I think, being sort of a good thing. Uh, you did have a lot of world leaders that didn't know, truthfully, the way in which Trump would respond to something, whatever it might be. And for that reason, I think you had a lot of people decide not to do as many things uh, because they weren't sure. If, and that's one of the things that I think all of the world right now, not that I'm saying this is a good thing per se, but all of the world right now is afraid of with Putin. They think that Vladimir Putin, no matter what he says, may be willing to start a nuclear war. It has allowed Russia to continue to do some things and gain some things and attempt to gain some things that the rest of the world would like to see or a lot of the world would like to see them not gain. And again, I'm not necessarily saying that that is exactly how you behave. Uh, we don't want to see a Vladimir Putin in our country. But I think the idea that there's someone who's who's potentially willing to escalate something to a degree that the other side doesn't want not in the case, again, of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, but the way our former president was perceived and the way our current president is perceived, it creates this version of, of chicken that seems to exist all the times, at all times in our society on an international scale. And a lot of countries watch us, watch our leaders speak and watch our leaders uh, fail to do things like even fix our border. And they think that they can start to play that game of chicken. And that is obviously a bad thing. All right, a quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. Um, like, yeah. So what? It's the Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, a study out said that you got to get ripped uh, to be healthy in life. That is real. Uh, the new um, approach to this sort of uh, thinking from the University of Michigan is that weak muscles could be the next, quote, smoking. 
Uh, if you're not someone who's doing strength training for the entirety of your life, uh, this new study says that you're likely, after the age of 60, uh, to deal with more medical issues. I think that that's kind of a ridiculous um, uh, thing to report on, too, by the way, uh, just because, and I've talked about a couple of these today. Uh, yeah, of course, if you're someone who hits the gym enough to be ripped, to be swole, to be the kind of person uh, that goes to the gym and stares at themselves in the mirror for a few minutes, you probably are in, in a fairly healthy situation in your life. You're probably unlikely to, I guess, have a lot of things uh, go wrong, but strong evidence of a link between muscle weakness and acceleration and biological aging has been demonstrated among 1,274 participants, all of whom were either middle-aged or older adults. Uh, this was a company, this was accomplished via three age acceleration clocks uh, based on different, I guess, DNA markers that uh, to decide whether or not your level of physical fitness uh, meant that you were growing or you were aging uh, slowly and whether or not you were at risk of, as I said, uh, certain medical issues. So just go get ripped is essentially the, the advice uh, for the, the study today. It's just, just hit the gym, uh, lift as much as you can, uh, as, as uh, quickly as you can. I don't know why I'm saying it this way. Uh, I, I've been to the gym at times in my life, but you can probably tell with the way I'm making fun of it that I haven't been to the gym enough uh, for this study. Not at all. All right. Other things out there. I think these are interesting. I'm going to try to do all these uh, stories relatively quickly because they're all a little bit adult in nature. And I know that this is a radio show. I know that there's rules as to what I'm allowed and not allowed to say. And I want to make sure that I'm respectful to everybody. And if you put the, the earmuffs on the kids, they don't need to be super tight. I should try to do this well enough that they could hear a little bit of what we're about to talk about. But here's three stories. The first one's not that bad. This one's okay. It's easy to get through. I guess um, a uh, mother of a bride went viral on social media for two reasons. Uh, one, a lot of people thought it was inappropriate that she wore a very revealing dress to the wedding of her, her daughter. Uh, it's a mini dress uh, to describe it. Uh, another reason that it went viral is because the woman looks great and that the, the video or the, the photos uh, are things that maybe a lot of people were interested in seeing. Uh, but it's a very low, low cut, high leg looking uh, type of style dress. And people are saying is it inappropriate. If uh, I guess the, the best way to articulate this, and again, this is only a mini earmuff situation for the kids. If mom is attractive, is it bad for mom to dress a certain way at a wedding and potentially upstage the daughter who is dressed um, a little less revealing, I, I guess, to say the least. But they, they all seem attractive in the photos that have gone viral. So no surprise there. I just love that story for both reasons, that people are like, no, this is inappropriate. And other people are like, yeah, but I want to see that photo. Uh, I'm curious about that. Here's another one. And this one's not that bad either. I'm really just waiting for the third of these three stories till right up till we take our break. Uh, but a kid got treated to a trip to Hooters and people debated it pretty hard on social media because the kid is five years old. He's, he's a five-year-old boy. His mom decided to take him to a Hooters. There's a couple quick things, and you might have heard this story by now. It's been kind of bouncing around. <laughs> it's been out there in the news for a couple days. What I think is interesting about it is if you look at any of the photos or the video, the kid seems to be having a great time. <laughs> The five-year-old, and I don't think he's having like a like a, a a time that some people are worried. Like I don't think he's he's uh, being anything other than a five-year-old about it. He's at a place, any restaurant, and a whole lot of people are being nice to him and giving him attention and joking with him and smiling at him. And I think he's enjoying the attention of it all. And he's five. I don't really think that he's he's contemplating too many of the things that people were upset about. I'm not trying to overly defend uh, this thing, but who cares where a five-year-old goes for a birthday is sort of my opinion because the five-year-old doesn't care. He just cares about presents and food and maybe cake and a, and a candle of some kind. Uh, but I, I will just say that after all this went viral and a lot of people called this person a bad mother, that it does look like a fun trip for a five-year-old to take. 
I think it'd be different if, say, the kid were uh, a teenager. Maybe that would feel more uncomfortable, although a teenager wouldn't want to go with mom to Hooters, I don't think. I feel like at that point, um, everyone would say, let's just not go ahead and do this. And all right, here's the last one. Uh, this is right before the break. I've done this kind of on purpose. I don't know how to feel about this. So an Australian law student was caught passing through airport security recently. Uh, she had something inside of something else, and those were both bad things. Uh, the first thing is she was actually uh, carrying the ashes of, of a loved one, of her, of her uh, boyfriend who had recently passed away. But the reason that this story went viral, the reason the story makes me uncomfortable and makes me feel like it's a bit of an earmuff situation, is she had put the ashes inside of an, an adult thing, an adult thing that she had on her, on her, uh, in her luggage to take with her on her trip. And a whole lot of people were really confused as to why the ashes would end up there. And I, I got to say, and I know this is uncomfortable, I know this is an awkward story, but it's a story that certainly captured my attention. I would not want this to happen to me at the end of all this. If you trust somebody, uh, if you love somebody, if, if that somebody is with you uh, at the end of whatever it is you're, you were going through, and then you tell that I just feel like it'd be a thing. Just like, hey, just out of curiosity, if you plan on putting my my remains in, in something inappropriate, please, please, please don't do that. I really, really don't want to ever have that be a thing. Uh, this has failed. Uh, 4.9 million views on social media, though. A lot of people have thoughts. That's the most uh, uh, adult show, a topic of the show. I promise less of that. Coming back next, Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. This is The Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Happy Veterans Day to all those who have served and protected uh, our country. Uh, A very, very important holiday and a holiday that I think uh, sometimes we, uh, I don't know, I I, I think that everybody appreciates the, the work that our military does for us. But sometimes maybe we should just figure out a way to do even more, uh, to do something better. And you know what? Actually, okay. I'm debating whether or not I bring this up again because I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. This sounds real stupid. It's real stupid. I want everyone to know that uh, the way in which I'm talking about this is just a true thing that happened. Uh, So last night I'm out seeing the Black Panther. Uh, I went to go see that movie when it came out. I'm a little bit of a Marvel nerd. And I thought it was a good movie, not a great movie. It was was just okay, uh, which disappointed me because the first one was, was definitely a better movie. Uh, but anyway, I'm sitting there waiting for a few friends with my wife, and this this um, older guy comes in, and he's in a Navy uniform, and he just seems like he wanted to go out and have a night to himself, and he wanted to go see a movie. He was actually going to see the Black Panther as well. So I walked up, and I paid for his ticket, and I just did it. Like, it's not a lot of money. It's not anything. And again, that's not. I'm not trying to highlight that part of the story because that's the stupid part. It was 6 or $7 that I gave to an individual that I don't know because he, he served and cared about our country. But what, what matters to me is the amount of gratitude that this gentleman had in his heart, the way he behaved, the way he looked like his eyes, just they lit up. And, and I don't know what to say about that uh, other than to say that, that at times, and especially like times like now, when we have narratives about how uh, the oh, a political side of the aisle went so hard after police and then now has backed off Democrats saying they were never defund the police uh, people. But so many of these things, I think, in our society 
uh, create this this weird experience uh, for those who serve and protect us, those who are part of our military. Uh, and we need to get back to just full on praising and and treating those individuals like the heroes that they are. And today is one of the days to do that for sure. Um, and what really mattered to me again is how a little tiny act of kindness, an almost nothing act of kindness, seemed to be a sincerely valuable thing uh, to a guy that did way more important things in his life. I just know that uh, going in. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just wanted to share that because of how much it moved me uh, the way that it mattered to that guy. Uh, anyway, other things out there in the news, other things out there in the world. Uh, I saw this story, and this has been trending a little bit for the last few days, that Fox News is now trying to throw its weight behind Ron DeSantis, celebrating the success in Florida for Republicans, changing a swing state into a deeply red state, and trying to distance itself from um, Donald Trump. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, the media mogul who controls most of the most powerful or uh, things in conservative media, uh, appears to um, uh, be okay with that. Uh, De Future, the headline of the Post, blared along with a photo of Ron DeSantis and his family celebrating their win uh, in a sun in the Sunshine State. On Fox News, the dominant television coverage um, has really centered around how great of a job uh, DeSantis did. And some, and I don't know what sources these are, are saying that this all this is not an accident. All this is on purpose. All of this is to, again, lean into uh, what seems to be. And you know what really is, is interesting to me? Uh, this is, uh, and I'll move on to something else in just a second. because I feel like this is an over-talked about thing right now. Uh, but what's interesting to me is there's a lot of people out there, and actually Chad, as I was talking to him yesterday, is definitely among them. You don't need to say that that um, any of the things that Trump did while he was in office were, were bad somehow. You don't need to, to um, attack any of the things that were the successes of former President Trump when he was in office to prefer DeSantis. It doesn't have to sound like it's a gentleman saying that's what Chad said. I don't know who he prefers in that. I didn't ask him that. Uh, but I was just talking to, to Chad about uh, about the, the Trump component to all this. And what I think is so interesting about it is just the idea that that Donald Trump did have successes when he was in office. That's absolutely true. And so if in the future a Republican wants to vote a different way, it's not necessarily to be so anti-Trump uh, that I think you'd be accused of being by a very uh, strong Trump supporter. Uh, the party itself might believe in uh, values that all Republicans share, and they just might think that DeSantis is currently a better vessel for delivering those messages than Trump is. And I think I certainly am in uh, that camp, and maybe Fox News is too, according to this. It's just very interesting to, to hear the the back and forth as if, as if, as if both sides, excuse me, and I know uh, Trump has started to attack DeSantis uh, himself, but both sides, like, you don't need to truly be as in opposition as you are when, say, you get to the final fight where it's Republicans versus Democrats. If you're, if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, you don't need to start hating DeSantis if Trump is trying to, to say as many things as he can to make people turn on it. That's not valuable for the party. And I don't know. I just think that that's probably where a lot of this is coming from. I want to move on to this. This is Kerry Lake. Uh, popping up on Fox News last night with Sean Hannity, uh, talking about how she believes she will win uh, the governor's race there in Arizona. Uh, they continue to talk about Blake Masters and how they think it's likely uh, that Blake will eventually win the Senate seat there, which which seems difficult right now. But some of the math might uh, indicate, at least as of last evening, uh, that some feel differently about how how much of a a gap can be closed. Here's a little bit about about of that back and forth exchange because I do think it's really interesting. That essentially right now, uh, what you see 
is likely to change, even if Blake doesn't come all the way back in Arizona. Uh, we're days past the election. And right now, and especially in Carrie Lake's um, uh, race, if it eventually winds up being as lopsided as she's describing her expectation of it to be, and I don't know that that's going to be true, it just says a lot about the way in which voting is counted, specifically in Arizona, and how election night and the days right after really don't, they don't mean anything for some of these states now because it's going to take so long to get to the final actual number and even more true, and I think this comes up a little bit in the audio I'm about to play, especially for Republicans right now, a lot of Republicans vote the day of the election or a lot of Republicans even show up and turn in their ballot that they filled out beforehand the day of the election. There's so many ways in which the numbers actually, if it takes a very long time to count, might start favoring Republicans in some of these races and not Democrats. But here we go. And you told me, well, we've got about a little over 400,000 votes outstanding. And we expect that, I think you said, 235,000 are day of voting. Uh, now, here we are a day later. They counted 62,000 votes. Now we're hearing we're close to 650,000 ballots remaining, uh, and of which nearly or close to 400,000 are day of votes. In Blake Masters' case, because you have a bigger lead than, than he does, uh, he told me earlier tonight that they're winning 68% of those day of votes. I think you're winning 70%. So if that math holds, Blake Masters will be the next senator from Arizona if that math is right. Yeah, if that math holds, I mean, we're going to win by hundreds of thousands, maybe more than 200,000 ballots or votes, which would be great. Uh, <laughs> but what we want to tell the people is that, you know, we're by the way, yes, that would be great. Uh, the reason I just laughed right there for anyone that heard it is that, yes, winning by 200,000 votes would be great. Carrie Lake right now at the last update is, is behind by just a little bit, 49.3% to 50.7%, uh, a little bit less than 30,000 total votes. Uh, but winning as significant of a percentage as they're saying there, of, of day of voting certainly does start to swing things the other way in both of these. Although again, Blake masters is, is much more behind uh, right now by last count. Uh, he is at a 46.1% to a 51.7% of Mark Kelly. Uh, he has 944,350 votes to uh, one and a half million for Kelly. So that's a, it's a big uh, gap to close, but still with a decent amount of votes out there to count 82% reporting at this point, let's hear more from Carrie Lake. We're watching as these little tranches come in and they're tending to give a few extra votes to the Democrats. The Democrats are running out of ballots to count that are going to go in their favor. And they know it. Everyone knows it. Our war rooms know it. When they start counting these mail-in ballots that were hand-delivered, that's when we're going to see everything start to shift. And there's no turning back from that. And it's going to be, uh, I'm, I want to prepare our supporters for this turnaround, but I think the left is going to kind of wig out when they find out that they're <laughs> losing potentially all four of these key races. You know, what's interesting about that, that last moment uh, in Carrie Lake's response there is if the left does freak out, if some of these comebacks are as unbelievable as, as some of them might seem to be just based on the information that we have uh, right now, Blake Master is probably the most significant one. If he is to come all the way back and win that Senate race, uh, that's something that I think a lot of people are not uh, uh, thinking right now is going to happen. I'm not saying I'm, I'm definitively sure of anything. I don't think anyone has actually officially called this, um, but it is it is a pretty significant change, and it would demonstrate uh, just how valuable it is in those states, again, like I said, to not even pay. Like, if you live in Arizona, 
I don't even think you have to pay attention to election night. You, you could just, you go vote, you, you sleep it uh, off for a few days, and then maybe by today, you just start checking in. And you check in the way that maybe people on election night in places like Florida could check in every hour as they're counting those ballots until it's done and over with. Uh, you, just, you just keep, like, casually looking. And then maybe by next Monday, you casually look again. Uh, because if it is that significant of a one-sided advantage for the votes that are left to be counted, and it does make sense, uh, as people are saying, the, the votes that are, are counted last are the ones that were hand-delivered. So they were filled out at home. They were a mail-in ballot uh, essentially, or a mailed-to-the-voter ballot, but then they're actually dropped off in person to sort of demonstrate that, and I think that's a very Republican mindset, making sure that my vote is count- counted, my ballot is received, et cetera, et cetera. And so if there are as significant of a number of those as they say there are, which they would know that for sure, and those votes all tend to go the same way, which is more an assumption but a, a valuable one, then if these races do actually change, again, as I said, uh, there are states that you can just, like, decide. And they were saying it before the election a little bit, too. Yeah, I don't need to know anything about them uh, for a solid week or more. Uh, one other quick thing, just wanted to touch on this. I just, I just like this. Uh, this is out there today, uh, depending on, on where you're at. Um, but it is 11-11 uh, today, so that is already lucky. And, of course, a couple times today it will be 11-11 at 11-11. Uh, so at those times, um, uh, they have passed for, for some Uh, But at those times, you're supposed to make a wish. And so if you make a wish at the right time in the right moment, I have no idea if it's likely to come true. I'm pretty sure it is not. Uh, But several people um, are talking about how they're going to be making some important wishes today. I wonder what it is people would wish for if you're trying to be realistic. Like if you ever want a wish to come true, and I know, again, that's not a thing. I'm not trying to be crazy on the show today. But if you wanted it, like you got it, you got to set your expectations at a certain place, right? Like you can't go to the moon. You can't wish to win the next Powerball because that's not going to happen. What is it that most people are wishing for on a Friday after the midterm elections? I don't know, but I imagine it's all the things that you thought would be powerful in the world of political conversations for Republicans. Lower inflation, lower gas prices, easier holiday commutes, easier um, uh, conversations with the family, uh, maybe, but having everything recover back to normal to where one other story you're seeing out there just quickly is that a lot of people intend to use Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace to buy their Christmas gifts this year because it's just too expensive to buy new things in stores for a lot of people. So they're going to get secondhand things from strangers. Uh, and that is an interesting uh, demonstration of what I, I'm guessing today a lot of people will be wishing we don't have to deal with next year. All right, quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. If you like talk radio like Chad Benson likes his meals, you've come to the perfect place for takeout. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. I wanted to play audio uh, that's going viral on social media of a baby boomer ripping millennials. Uh, but I will be honest with you. There were so many bleeps in this audio that there would have been times where, and you probably would have found it entertaining, uh, and maybe I will play it then, fine, later on in the show. Uh, but a good majority of the conversation would be bleep heavy uh, because of this message. But a lot of people are enjoying this message. And I actually think that a, a reason why maybe this is going viral a little bit more now is in reaction to uh, the the midterm elections, some of the data that's come out saying that young people overwhelmingly voted Democratic and some of the core issues uh, that they might not be aware of uh, because, well, of society today, uh, things like inflation and rising housing costs 
Uh, they might not be hitting that group of, of young people that hard. Uh, they might not be overcoming some of the other issues uh, that they feel are tremendously important. So this baby boomer said uh, that millennials need to get the bleep out of their houses, uh, their parents' houses. Excuse me. He actually said, hey, we all work. I don't give a bleep. Um, I love that part. If you've got a job or not, get out and pull your weight. Help around the house. You don't pay. And then some more uh, things happened. Uh, but here's the, the most interesting point, and probably the reason that so many people, millions of people are viewing this now. He said past generations couldn't wait to get out of their houses. He says, my friends and I could not wait to move out. We couldn't, like the, the day we were allowed to, we got out on our own. We wanted to be on our own. We wanted to be away from the rules and structure uh, created by our parents at home. And we were 18. We thought of ourselves as adults. Uh, I'm now paraphrasing the things he said, uh, but a lot of people say this. So he just wanted to, to try. And there are fall-in-your-face moments when you get out the in the world at that age. Uh, there are things you definitely probably do wrong. But there is an appreciation for some of the other challenges that exist, maybe that are going to exist throughout the rest of your life uh, by doing that that early on in life. I actually was out of my house by the age of 19. I'm a millennial. And it was somewhat my mother who was like, yeah, no, this isn't working anymore. You're going... <laughs> Uh, but I'm, it's good. It's something that I think is, is valuable to me and, and a valuable, I think, mindset for so many. And I do think it's true that when you talk about this unique aspect of, of maybe how a lot of other things happen in our lives, that that, that is a, a huge generational difference uh, from the past. I have so many friends and family uh, that joke about their early years of being out on their own, whether it was renting an apartment, whether it was already having a house at a certain age, whatever it might have been. Uh, going to school and paying for that with a, a summer job, which I know isn't really a thing anymore. Uh, but there are so many aspects of just like going out and living uh, that create a more well-rounded understanding of some of the challenges we all we all face. And so this this guy uh, going viral and saying the things he's saying, uh, not surprising on a couple uh, in a couple ways. Uh, and then just the overall bleeping of all of it again is something I might play a little bit later on. Uh, I saw this story and I feel like I've seen these kind of stories before. So I guess there's a certain plant. Uh, that elephants consume sometimes in certain places in the world. Uh, it is known as a, a muha a brew. It's a traditional liquor made from a flower uh, that they eat. I don't know much more about this. Uh, but recently, another video went viral of elephants that kind of seem hammered. Uh, they go on boozy adventures, according to research, uh, because of the, the things they consume, and they do wind up hangover, hungover uh, the next day. So uh, giant elephants... Uh, including, I guess, um, a, a pack of them recently uh, are seen kind of stumbling around, passing out, waking up the next morning and sort of dragging themselves around. I don't know why we would find this so interesting. Uh, I certainly uh, found it amusing, I guess, to see that uh, demonstration with the, the giant animal. Uh, and then other people, of course, immediately scream and yell about uh, making sure to protect the animals. Uh, they're doing this on their own time, man. For anybody out there that wants to protect the elephants, I don't know. You'd have to yank all those plants out of all of the places they are because, like, that's, it's not on us. We didn't give them the booze. Uh, they did it on their own. Actually, that reminds me of another story. Let's do another one real quick uh, with very little time left. Uh, there's the story of this guy. Maybe I'll talk about it more after the break, actually. Uh, there's a story about this guy who's a, an avid bird watcher, uh, very passionate, that saved a bird by driving him from Canada uh, further south with his wife. There's audio of him going viral, bragging about it, the accomplish accomplishment of it. I'm just wondering if the wife was as passionate as he was when they had a wild bird in their car. I'll talk about that more next. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. The Chad Benson Show.
independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. So much stuff to talk about, as always, as I say on this program. Uh, Let's play this first. Uh, This is Congressman-elect Ryan Zinke talking about the amount of veterans who were actually hired uh, by our um, country uh, via getting voted into office. Uh, At least 80 vets won congressional races this week, uh, which is obviously very important and something that is valuable to highlight on Veterans Day. Uh, Veterans make incredibly good employees for a whole lot of reasons and a whole lot of companies, which we'll talk about in just a second. But here first is Congressman-elect Ryan Zinke to talk about uh, how uh, cool it is to see this and to know about the amount of work they're about to get done as a solid group of individuals working together. As you point out, we have veterans coming in, new tone. Uh, It's very no-nonsense. Let's get things done, red, white, and blue for our country. And it's going to be an exciting period in, in the House of Representatives. And we have a lot of special forces, a lot of combat vets, and it's this time to take back America and focus on make sure we defend the Constitution. I think that that's a fantastic take, uh, by the way. It's this time to be no nonsense. It's time to go in and get the job done. So many aspects, again, of what I say is important and what so many say is important in the world of military and the things you're taught, uh, the way in which you carry yourself and how it applies to pretty much any job, uh, even the tech sector. Uh, they've been talking recently about how smart it is for a tech uh, startup to hire vets as as members of the team. And here's four of the reasons why, according to, to just this one uh, industry, but really, as I said, pretty much any industry, a uh, grit. That's the first quality you get when you get a veteran uh, that works for you, uh, someone who is required or, or capable on a whole lot of different levels of uh, soldiering through any sort of challenges that they face in the workplace. Because I wonder if, like, truly for uh, people who've served and protected our country, if you go into work and deal with, like, say, a computer that's not working, if you just look at that like, this is fine, this is not a big deal, I've faced much worse than this, I will be able to handle this, no problem. Uh, That's one of the things. Adaptability, another one that they say is a tremendously valuable skill and uniquely uh, found in vets. Uh, the ability to, as I said a second ago, be challenged to a brand new thing every single day and not have that be a big problem. Uh, you know the people that you work with, uh, the people where you ask them to do something different just once, one time, uh, if there's someone who works for you or works with you, and they immediately act as though you've asked them to do something that's entirely impossible. A vet does not uh, deal with that challenge the same way. They come in if they're told that there's new expectations and those are the ones they have to hit. As long as they understand them, they hit them. Uh, that's pretty cool. Leadership experience is something they say of any young company, especially uh, having individuals who can take the lead on anything, whether it's a project or something else, is tremendously valuable, and and veterans have that in mass. And then finally, and this is the most important one, I think, to any industry that goes well beyond just um, uh, the tech sector for this story, attention to detail. Uh, Right now, I think there are so many people who want to do things like work from home, the people who are quiet quitting, Uh, the people who are a part of the great resignation of last year or whatever it might be, Uh, people who want to dictate to a company how they do a job, how they get treated, and if they don't get treated those ways in those situations, well, they're not really going to do a good job or they're probably just going to quit. That is absolutely not the way that discipline and all of those other things are taught in the military uh, to individuals who would come out of the military and get uh, good jobs in all kinds of different industries. They will have attention to detail. They will do the things you ask them to do, and they'll do them in a way that makes sure that they're right and correct. Uh, they double-check their work kind of thing. And that obviously it feels like a very important skill right now to so many people. But so when you hear uh, that so many veterans uh, were um, elected into office, uh, 80 again, as I said, 
Uh, that is great news, first and foremost, for our country because of the unique amount of experience and understanding they have about the values that we have as a country and the things that we'd want to protect. Uh, but more important than that is because they're going to show up every day at the right time and do work, uh, which feels ever, ever uh, more difficult all the time in other places. Case in point might be Twitter. Uh, I love talking about this for a second. So Elon Musk, I think it was last night, said that Twitter might go bankrupt. Uh, he said because a lot of different um, advertisers are fleeing right now as, as there's a change going on on the social media platform. And I guess according to CNN, just crazy amount of chaos exists right now on Twitter, a social media platform that for some is being treated as though it's the gold standard of journalism, which is very scary uh, when we start talking about that. But no, Elon was, was saying uh, that uh, there's a massive negative cash flow and bankruptcy is not out of the question. That was at a meeting uh, just yesterday, according to recordings that have been heard by a couple different news organizations. Um, I don't think that it's likely to happen anytime soon, per se. And it's certainly something that you can write the ship on as you start to change more and more things. Uh, but here, let's listen to CNN freak out about the fact that the blue check mark is something that's now way too achievable. Uh, a blue check mark that probably never should have been thought of as as important as it, as it became for those that care so much about this platform. But it's just interesting to compare those two things, just to go back again for a second and to think about how great of a job veterans are doing in a, in a totality of different fields and how, how important it is or valuable it is, um, as I've been saying today, to, to acknowledge and thank them for the work they've done for us and also to, to really give the praise that's, that's valuable in, in the way they behave in a workplace after they've served. And then you compare that to a bunch of uh, Twitter employees who are trying to do a, a mass lawsuit against Elon Musk from being fired from their Twitter job. Uh, here is CNN, as I said, freaking out about the fact that the blue check mark is now becoming a thing that is getting uh, given out way too easily. Now, hold on one second. Let me make sure that this audio is playing correctly. And here we go. So the loss of those senior execs also, guys, makes it much more difficult to lure already skeptical advertisers. Also not helping, an explosion of trolls and other, others creating imposter accounts after Musk effectively blew up verification on Twitter. You can see somebody pretending to be a fake Donald Trump account, and Twitter has also given a blue check mark to Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Some things are getting a bit confusing on the site. Yeah, uh, that, that, there is an entertainment aspect to the, back, to the fact that right now on, on Twitter, there's someone with an account that says that they are uh, Jesus. I'm Catholic, so Catholic Craig coming out of me for a second, and that that is a verified account. But maybe it's a parody account. Maybe it says somewhere on it that it's not actually. But I just love the fact that right now, the freak out from so many uh, that care about this at all, that talk about this at all, is how um, devalued the platform is becoming from a trust standpoint from a, a standpoint that we obviously used to think of it as a gun. A lot of us didn't think of it this way as a gold standard of, of information of gaining information in a valuable way when it's definitely not that, and it shouldn't be that. Uh, but the idea that a whole bunch of advertisers are fleeing and that it might go under uh, is, is interesting and is something that Elon Musk is apparently referencing as well. Uh, and I, I remember actually that one last thing I'll say about this, then I'm going to move on to something else uh, that I think is interesting too. Um, but uh, what I thought was especially kind of unique is I think there was an ex of Elon's uh, that said that what he should do is buy Twitter and just turn it off, uh, that the best way to help our society would be to buy that platform and then just have it be uh, non-existent. Um, and I think that's a pretty interesting concept. I don't think that's actually what he's, he's purposefully doing, or I don't even know if that's what will actually happen. And again, I'm going to stop caring almost right now. Uh, but I do think uh, beyond whether or not he is trying to do it, 
uh, it going away wouldn't be anywhere near as bad as some teams seem to be acting like it would be. All right, let's play this. Uh, this is Fox and Friends. They're reacting to some of the ongoing back and forth in a Trump-DeSantis feud uh, that I've been talking about a little bit. I really like the way that Will Kane put all this, and I think it's a valuable thing for anyone that's already thinking um, forward to the next election after all of our midterms, uh, because it says a lot about not needing to have an internal civil war feud going on in the Republican Party after not having the red wave that that many expected. Meanwhile, we mentioned the statement by President Trump last night. It was a three page statement and it was solely and exclusively focused on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, President Trump's political instincts have been over the past five years, in my estimation, on point. And they have been on point when everyone else has doubted President Trump. I think he is responsible for bringing a populist a necessary populist element to the Republican Party, focused on the middle class, focused on industrialization here at home, jobs at home. And working class. And the working class. And that that repositioning's fruits were a governor like Ron DeSantis and his success in Florida. Last night's attack on Ron DeSantis, I think for many out there, represents a really, the future where where, as I described it, you're looking at a Republican civil war. And that is not going to be healthy for anyone that believes in the policies that Donald Trump helped push back to the forefront. Yeah, just to say it uh, one more time or to say it differently, and I know it's been a, a through line for the whole show today and probably a lot of the places that you're, you're hearing political conversations, this is one of the bigger conversations to talk about, is that whatever uh, good uh, our past president did for the Republican Party, highlighted some there uh, by Will Kane. Um, Right now, it seems as though the most valuable step forward is to let someone else um, benefit from all of that good. Let DeSantis in Florida, uh, being as solidly red as it is, uh, take the next step forward. And so to tear down a DeSantis in order to win a, a nomination and run for reelection seems to be bad for the party as a whole moving forward. Even if Trump were to, say, get the Republican nominee, run for office and get into the White House, uh, tearing down a DeSantis in the process a young 40-something politician who's been charismatic and convincing to a lot of people throughout the country, uh, that seems to be more harmful than good as a whole uh, for the party itself. All right, one other quick thing I want to mention, totally different, outside of the world of politics. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the Panthers were playing the other night, and of course, uh, the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers, have not been terribly good at football this year. Uh, they are 3-7. and seven. Uh, Their uh, starting quarterback, uh, Baker Mayfield, got sidelined a few weeks ago for not playing very well. Uh, of course, you remember Baker is the 2018 first overall pick in the NFL draft, if you remember him at all. Uh, but last night, one of the things that I thought was really unique and one of the things that went viral uh, is he was headbutting players uh, on his team after they did well. And since he's not playing in the game, since Baker has been sat uh, in favor of a different quarterback, he is helmetless. So as he's headbutting these guys, uh, some of his teammates that are coming off the field, uh, he's doing it without any helmet on whatsoever. And I guess if I was someone uh, standing on the sideline uh, thinking to myself, and I know that Baker's play on the field has probably not screamed that he should be out there playing, but if you see a guy doing stuff like that, celebrating with the team and not needing to throw on a helmet first, you're like, man, all right. Now, there might still be a role for him yet. There might be a way to have him work his way back in. Uh, but there are viral videos and photos of that uh, a few different times. After a late uh, field goal by kicker Eddie Pinero, uh, you see a Baker Mayfield out there on the field celebrating and headbutting and being like, yeah, we're doing it. And uh, just forgetting to put on the old helmet. All right, quick break. A lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. 
You stink like fear and white male privilege to me. I do often out myself verbally as a gender. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm proud to be a gender. Are you stupid? <laughs> Ruben! What? Are you kidding me? Not a great way to use your white privilege. Some people get it. Some people don't. You're listening to The Chad Benson Show. This is The Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about, as there's always lots of stuff to talk about. A few things that gone viral that I thought were interesting on social media. Uh, first one is a woman who was complaining a man was man-spreading on a plane as they were sharing seats right next to each other. Uh, she was sitting on the aisle seat. It seems like he's in the middle seat. Uh, the photo that went uh, viral online I'll describe to you, of course, because this is radio, has his uh, two legs somewhat spread out. His, his you know, um, uh, legs are, are opened, uh, and they're just aligned with the areas where the seat would end. So those little, um, uh, where the tray would come down, essentially. And she complained that he was all over her personal space, uh, sitting in the middle seat, and he's got what appears to be uh, long legs for a man. And she does seem to be a, a smaller uh, individual as a woman. Uh, and a lot of people are debating this, whether or not that's actually manspreading. Uh, and apparently a couple times in the flight, she mentioned to him that he was stretching his legs out too far. And then he would move his legs back and then they would just sort slightly creep open again. I love the fact that this is debated, though, and back and forth. And she's claiming that she was being treated horribly uh, because, unfortunately, the legs were touching on a plane. Uh, because if you have long legs, if you're someone that sits especially middle seat with long legs, uh, you know there's not a lot of other stuff for you to do. Uh, the only other solution for this dude uh, would have been for him to essentially uh, cannonball himself up and just wait for the flight to end. Uh, but I love the fact that this went viral, and a whole bunch of people were debating, did the guy do something wrong on Reddit specifically? Emily is the name of the woman who went there. Uh, she said that she was uh, that she is 5'8", so she said she, she feels like she's tall enough to where the leg uh, respect should have been there, and it wasn't. Uh, but that's the kind of thing they're debating on the Internet today. I also saw this story. I actually have a couple bird stories, uh, which is not a sentence I often say when I'm on the radio. Uh, first, this woman said she became best friends with a seagull uh, during the COVID pandemic because the seagull would land on her open window in her home, and then she let the seagull into her house. Uh, it's a real story. Uh, her name is Haley. She's 41 years old. She's got 2.3 million views on the sad ending to her friendship with a seagull. Apparently, after years of living comfortably together, at some point, for some unknown reason, according to uh, Haley, the seagull went crazy and attacked her and destroyed the uh, the uh, home that they were in, trashed her house, and has now been let out into the wild. Um, I have a good radio friend of mine that had a simple sentence. He would always say when any story like this popped up, wild animals go wild. Uh, there's no ability to keep wild animals from not going wild. I don't know why the seagull remained uh, chill and calm. And even like there's photos of her like letting the seagull bite her on the face, uh, but I guess in, in the playful way. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everything went rogue. Everything went wrong. I wonder if anybody like friends and family uh, were trying to tell this person, hey, the, the seagull thing, uh, you might want to pump the brakes on that. I feel like that's getting a little out of hand. Uh, maybe not. I'm not sure. But that is a story that's out there. And a whole lot of people feel bad for Haley that her pet seagull didn't remain a, a docile creature and eventually uh, went full seagull. Uh, here's the other story. As I said, I have two in the world of birds. Uh, so this guy is an avid bird watcher. He is the editor of BC Bird Magazine. Uh, his name is Clive. I have audio from him, too. I guess he noticed a bird in Canada that was supposed to have migrated uh, further south, actually all the way to Mexico, and didn't make it. Uh, and so he got, he got worried about the bird. And so he decided to take the bird into his car 
And then him and his wife, his wife's name is Susan, drove that bird all the way to Mexico to help out. Uh, and as I said, I have some audio. The guy's very happy. Uh, the story is being praised as good news, helping an animal. Uh, I just, I wonder one thing, and I don't mean to be the, the bah humbug in the room. I wonder if his wife, Susan, is as passionate about birds as he is, or if she was a little confused when he was telling her to, to jump in the car. They had to drive all the way to Mexico to help this bird migrate that didn't do it on its own. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about this. Here's some of the audio. Rufus hummingbirds aren't here in October. They clear off in August. It's about to get really cold. This should have been in Mexico two months ago. Put up uh, a bird cage, put a hummingbird feeder inside it, and waited for two and a half days. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, two and a half days later, my wife was absolutely heroic here, but they can survive in, in Vancouver. With any luck, it, it finally got its act together and went further south still. So they caught it and they drove it part of the way themselves. <laughs> Again, even though he says how happy he is for the, the team effort there, I, I wonder if that's a moment where you're doing the thing that so many people in a relationship do. Like, all right, you care a lot about this. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. Uh, with this situation, and then next time, say, when the dishes aren't done yet or something, it's going to come up as a conversation. The next time they're having an argument of any kind and Clive is saying something to Susan, I imagine Susan's going to throw back, do you remember that time I helped you catch a bird and drive it south because you didn't think it migrated soon enough? No, this one's on you. These dishes are for you to clean, sir. These are not my dishes. I just see that happening. All right, uh, one last super quick story, and then we're out of here. Uh, I saw that a couple didn't have their first kiss until their wedding day. They met when they were 17 and they just got married at 21. And they said not having a first kiss was like a Disney movie when that finally happened the day of the wedding. I think that's a little extreme. I think a lot of people probably don't go that far. And I would just say I'm a little disappointed that it didn't end worse because, again, I guess I'm darker, that the kiss would have been bad and they would have called it off. That would have been hilarious. But congrats to them. Craig Collins filling in. This has been the Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show.